Lord, we pray that you would bless the preparation of this word, this proclamation, that you would use it in a way that you would be glorified, your people would be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to turn with me again to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew, and I want to read verse 5 today from the New King James Version, and it reads, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want to continue on today with this series of sermons entitled, How's Your Attitude? How is my attitude? How is our attitude as a church family? From the ancient of days, men have had an insatiable appetite and an unquenchable thirst to conquer the earth and rule the world. Men like the pharaohs of Egypt. Men like Herod and all the Caesars of Rome. Men like Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan. Men like Napoleon Bonaparte and even Adolf Hitler and the like. But all of them have failed. Interestingly enough, each of these men had one thing in common. When you go back and when you study history, when you read about these men, when you focus on their lives, they had one thing in common. That is, they could control vast armies and had enormous power. Yet they did not have power over their own spirit. In the end, they failed miserably, and their lives were ruined. Here in this third beatitude, we read the words of Jesus in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, like the first two beatitudes, this one, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth must have shocked those who listened. Jesus was preaching about attitude. He was proclaiming a truth that was foreign to their traditional ways of thinking. To be sure, Jesus' audience knew how to act spiritually proud and spiritually self-sufficient. They had grown accustomed to and had grown proficient at fakery and facades and fronting on holiness. They were very good actors. But I like what pastor teacher John MacArthur points out when he says that the religious crowd in Jesus' day actually believed that the Messiah, that is, the Savior, would come and commend them. That means congratulate them for their goodness. 
No wonder the Pharisee stood up to pray with the publican there. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. I pay my tithes and, and I follow the rules, the regulations, and the guidelines. And he prayed in a way that suggested he expected Jesus to commend him, congratulate him for his goodness. So, in contrast to their thinking, Jesus was teaching new and unacceptable things to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the zealots. Uh, The Pharisees expected the Savior to come with a fanfare and a spectacular show of spiritual power. What's this about meekness, they would say. The Sadducees looked for change through political power and might. There was no place in their mentalities for the idea of meekness. The zealots who were religious fanatics looked for the Messiah, the Savior, to come and crush Rome with dominance and oppression the same way that Rome had conquered them. There was no room in their theology for meekness. No place in their way of thinking for meek people inheriting the earth. What Jesus taught was completely foreign to their way of thinking. What is this meekness? They did not recognize the humble and self-denying Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, because he was not the kind of Messiah, a Savior, that they expected or even wanted. What Messiah, what Savior would come and talk to us about meekness? That's an alien concept. That's not even on our radar. That's not even in our vocabulary. We don't talk like that around here. So it is, as we look at verse 5 of the text, we see Jesus adding insult to injury and pouring salt salt into the womb, metaphorically speaking, by preaching this message, blessed are the meek. He had just preached, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, but now blessed meek for they shall inherit the earth Jesus did not say to them blessed are you proud Pharisees Jesus did not say blessed are the arrogant he did not say blessed are the boisterous like the Pharisee who stood up and prayed and told God how good he was He did not say, blessed are the conceited, uh, nor did he say, blessed are the spiritual elitists, the spiritual do-gooders. He did not say, for they would inherit the earth. Listen to the text. But rather, blessed are the meek. Happy are the meek. Rejoicing are the meek. 
for they will be the spiritually authorized recipients of the earth. The inheritance of God's creation in the present tense, that is when Jesus comes uh, in the future tense, that is when Jesus comes back to claim and, and reign and rule on earth, they will inherit the earth. But his words also had present tense meaning in the here and the now, the meek, those who are humble, those who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God will rejoice and have deeded to them, deeded into their care all the blessings and the benefits that this earth has to offer. Now, in order to get a clear understanding of what meekness is, let's first take a look at what meekness is not. We can understand what Jesus is not saying. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not advocating a doormat approach to life by which the followers of Jesus was telling his followers, just lie face down on the ground and allow everybody to walk over you. Jesus was not advocating that meekness is cowardness. Meekness is not spinelessness or a lack of steel in the backbone of all of those who follow Jesus. Meekness is not timidity or the willingness to have peace at all costs by sacrificing spiritual convictions or denying biblical truth. That's not meekness. Meekness is not a lack, having a lack of confidence or a wimpy approach to life. That's not meekness in the New Testament context, in the test context of verse 5. So then what is meekness? What is Jesus talking about? What did he say to the first century followers? And what is he saying to us about this concept of meekness? The word meek in verse 5 of the text comes from the Greek word praos, which means mild or soft. The term was sometimes used to describe a soothing medicine or a soft breeze. It was used of coats and other animals whose natural, wild, untamed, or uncultivated spirit had been broken by the trainer so that it could be useful for work. For example, the Clydesdale is one of the largest known horses, a, a beautiful animal, full-grown. It can weigh in anywhere between 1,700 to 2,200 2, pounds to 2,200 pounds. It can weigh anywhere from 1,700 pounds to 2,200 pounds. That's a large animal. Running wild and out of control, the Clydesdale is useless. As a pet, as a workhorse, or as a show horse. But tamed, 
with a bit in his mouth, it's meek enough for a child to pet and ride. So it is in terms of the human attitude. Meekness speaks of those who were once wild and running out of control, useless for God's service, but who are now tamed by the Holy Spirit of God. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody here who was once wild, wild in speech, wild in behavior, untamed, running out of control, Useless for God's service, useless to the church, but who are now tamed by the Holy Spirit. A change, a wonderful change has come over you. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things have become new. I'm tamed. I'm useful. Those who were once wild and running out of control, useless for God's service, but who are now tamed by the Holy Spirit and they're stony, rebellious, contentious hearts have been replaced by a gentle and tender and meek and kind compassionate heart. That's what Jesus was saying. Blessed are the meek. Meekness is being strong yet teachable. Meekness is having the power, the resources, and the ability to conquer, control, intimidate, and even annihilate, yet refuse to do so when such behavior is outside the will, the word, and the ways of God. That's meekness, being able to control the power within your means. I noticed several biblical manifestations of meekness, several classic examples of of meekness. First, there's Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, after God called him from his homeland of Ur of the Chaldeans, he was doing fine there. Thank you very much. But God called him and made him an un. Uh, conditional, made an unconditional covenant with him. Abram, you will be great and you will be the father of, of all people and, and you will have descendants uh, more numerous than the sands of the seashore. After he called him and made this unconditional covenant with him, Abram broke camp, he and his nephew Lot along with him. While they were there, uh, this, out Uh, uh, On their journey, a dispute about grazing lands arose between Abram's servants and the servants of Lot. Chapter 13 and verse 6 of Genesis states, Now the land was not able to support them. They had too much, too too many uh, people and too much livestock. And so the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. 
having too many cooks in the kitchen can pose a problem. Having too many chiefs can pose a problem. So in verse 8, Abram said to Lot, please, notice the meekness, please let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we're brethren, we're kin, we're family, we serve the same God. And so Abram offered a solution in, in verse 9. Abram said to Lot, now you take whatever route you want. And, and I'll go in the opposite direction. If you go left or east, I'll go west. If you go left, I'll go right. You choose. In that meekness, Abram was called by God, not Lot. Abram was uh, the uncle. Lot was the nephew. And yet his meekness directed him to give Lot the option. Well, of course, and it may have had something to do with youth, but not always a whole lot to do with uh, um, selfishness. Lot looked out and examined the land and saw the plain of Jordan that it was well watered, a, a lush land, and, and, and he went there. But notice something about Lot. He did not say to his uncle Abram, who was his elder, no, sir, God has chosen you to lead. I'm grateful for the, fact, for the fact that you are even allowing me to come along with you, to even travel with you. No, my uncle, you take the well-watered land and I'll take whatever is left. After all, you are 75 years old. You take the best. That was not Lot's approach. Yet Abram willingly allowed Lot to settle on the land he wanted, thus giving up his rights and his prerogatives for the sake of his nephew, for the sake of harmony between their households, and for the sake of the testimony before the Canaanites and the Perizzites who were dwelling in the land. Those things were much more important for Abram than exercising his power and having his own way. Notice he had both the right and the power to do as he pleased. He could have imposed his will onto Lot. But in meekness, he gladly waived his rights and laid aside his power for the sake, get this, of the greater good. Because Abram was a meek man, his power was under control. He refused to take the land from Lot and thus allowing their enemies, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, to see them fighting and feuding like people who didn't know God. Abram's meekness helped him see that no matter what direction he went in, he was going to inherit the promises of God. The meekness of Abraham fostered in him the idea that God has made me some promises. It does not matter if I go east, God is there. If I go west, 
God is there. If I go north, God is there. God has made me some promises. That's meekness. So it is with us. It matters not the tricks and the games people play. What God has for you is for you. If you have been forced to go east when you really wanted to go west, don't worry. You wanted to stay, but you were forced out. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't even try to get even. God has promised you an inheritance. and He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will grant you his peace and prosperity. You remain meek. Allow God, and God will be God in your life. Next, there was Joseph, who was rejected, mistreated, and eventually sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. When by God's gracious plan, he came to be second command only to Pharaoh in Egypt, he was then in a position to take severe vengeance on his brothers. When they came to Egypt, Asking for grain to feed their starving families, Joseph could have easily refused and, in fact, could have put his brothers in a more traumatizing position of slavery than they did, than they had inflicted upon him. Yet, he only had love and forgiveness for them. Blessed, Jesus says, are the meek. When Joseph finally came to the place of revealing his identity to his brothers, Genesis 45 and 2 recounts, his weeping was so loud that the Egyptians and Pharaoh's household heard him. They heard him weeping. But notice what he said to his brothers after all they had put him through. After having sold him into slavery, and after all Joseph had been through, after having been falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, after having been convicted and placed into prison for 12 to 13 years for a crime he did not commit, after having been forced to live away from his father, Jacob, and his younger brother, Benjamin, And it's out of his country. He had every excuse to be bitter, to be angry, to be resentful. And in fact, fact, some would even say, Joseph, you ought to be bitter. You ought to be angry. You ought to be resentful. You ought to get back. You ought to uh, demand your pound of, of flesh. You ought to do to them what they have done to you. You ought to avenge yourself. Notice what he said in verse 5. But do not therefore be grieved. How's that for meekness? How's that for being the number two man in the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh? How is that to be meek? But do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, he said to his brothers, because you sold me here. 
God sent me before you to preserve life. Did you get that? God sent me before you. God was in the mix. God was in the plan. God was orchestrating events even when I did not know it. Meekness called him to say, God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 15, moreover, he kissed all his brothers. How is that? for meekness? How is that for gentleness? How is that for kindness? He kissed all his brothers and wept over them. How is that for an attitude of meekness? He wept over them and after that his brothers talked with him. And in chapter 50 verse 20 Joseph recited these Notable words that have traveled down the corridors of history for thousands of years. These words of great consolation, these words of promise, these words of commitment. He said to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for Good. Only meek people can speak like that. Only those who have a gentle heart can speak like that. What you meant for evil, God meant it for my good. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Verse now 21, therefore Joseph continues, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke, underscore the word kindly. How's our attitude? Are we speaking kindly to people, to each other? Are we speaking kindly in our homes? Are we speaking kindly in our places of work? Are we speaking kindly at school? Are we speaking kindly to our neighbors? Even though perhaps they've done us wrong, are we speaking kindless to each other here, even in the fellowship of believers? In meekness, Joseph understood that although his brothers did him wrong, God did him right. Listen, it matters not who you are, how faithful you have been. People will sometimes do you wrong. But the spirit of meekness will always say you did me wrong, but God did me right. I'm stronger, I'm wiser, I'm better than I was before because of who God is and what God has done for me. No wonder Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who maintain the right attitude of meekness, knowing that God is ultimately in control. Third and finally, 2 Samuel verses 16 5 through 24 reveals one of the most shocking stories of blatant disrespect 
and disregard for leadership in the Bible. I mean, if you want to see blatant respect, disrespect for, for leadership, if you want to see blatant disregard for, for leadership, just read that story. The story is about David, who is now the second, who is the anointed second king of Israel and, and a man after God's own heart. David was facing one of the most difficult seasons and challenges in his life. He was a fugitive running from his son, Absalom, who wanted to kill him and become king. When David and his men came to a place weary and looking for silence and solence, a place called Baharim, there was a man from the family of Saul named Shimei. Shimei came out, the Bible says, cursing David. Continuously as David and his men passed, as he and his entourage moved peacefully, not warringly, but peacefully along the way, Shimei came cursing continuously. Not only was he cursing David, but he was yelling insults at the king and accusing David of being a bloodthirsty murderer. Falsely accusing David of, of, of being a bloodthirsty murderer. He even lied on God in verse 8 like sometimes people will do. Saying God has delivered your kingdom into the hands of Absalom your son. No such truth existed nor did it ever. In verse 9, David's cousin Abishai or Abishai is some like to call him, who was also one of David's mighty men. And as I said before, I'll say again, every time you read about this man, he was either killing somebody or asking David's permission to kill somebody. This is what Abishai said. Why should this dead dog curse my Lord? the king. Let me go over. That's what he said. Let me go over and take his head off. David refused Abishai's request. And verse 13 says, verse 13 recounts, and as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went. Imagine, if you will, cursing the king, cursing God's anointed leader, cursing the one who would lead Israel as God's appointed king. Blatant disregard, no respect for his leadership, no respect for the king's authority, no respect for his power, but it gets deeper. For the Bible says, Shimei threw stones at him and kicked up dust in rebellion against David. But David and his men continued on their journey without so much as lifting a 
a striking hand against Shimei. How is that for meekness? How is that for power under control? David could have taken him out. No problem. Even as a young shepherd boy, he killed a nine-foot giant with a sling and a stone. Surely he had the power to take out Shimei. And if he didn't want to do it, Abishai would have gladly obliged him. But not only would Abishai gladly oblige David, all of his mighty men who loved him and who risked their life for him would have done it. But David in meekness said, no. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. David had a kingdom to inherit. And a people to lead. Well, the truth of the matter is there will all be always be fools along your journey. And if you hadn't met them yet, just keep living. You will. There will always be fools who have no respect for authority, no respect for God, no respect for you, will say just about anything to you about you. Have no respect for God, no respect for humanity, no respect for you or your leadership, but the meek spirit, the, 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 the spirit of meekness that drives home confidence in who God has made you, the meek spirit in you that knows who you are and whose you are. You belong to God. Jesus suffered and bled and died to save you from your sins. Jesus got up early on Sunday morning with all power in his hands. The meek spirit knows that. So in your meekness, you learn to ignore foolish people and disregard foolish talk, foolish texts, foolish emails, foolish Facebook interests, and be about your father's business. The meek spirit in you says, I refuse to miss out on my God-given inheritance and destiny by following up foolishness that's what David did what a magnificent illustration of meekness what a wonderful illustration of power under control what a marvelous lesson on not allowing out of control people control your destiny so it is in this third lesson on the Beatitudes Jesus says To the meek, to those who are able to control their lips and their lives, to those who are not easily provoked and easily angered, to those who can keep their cool, to those who are are even-tempered, to those who are able to deal with displeasure without acting out of foolishness and impulsive ways, Jesus says to you, to the meek, you are blessed, happy, 
full of God's supernatural joy and satisfaction. And you will inherit the goodness of God's earth now through his power, his presence, his provisions, his peace, as well as in the future when Jesus comes as our reigning king.